All right, welcome back, those who are alive and remain. <clears throat> um, the, uh, just a little overview of what we've been doing. How many of you just got here and were not here before? Well, welcome. You missed uh, what you need to understand this next session. However, <laughs> we will review so that you will, you will feel as though you didn't miss anything. Um, now, where did I put this thing? Okay. What we've been talking here about in this seminar for the first couple hours here is leading people from health seminars to him. And um, I would say to you that it's increasingly easy to do that in a more rapid fashion than than, than, was, than even a year ago or two years ago or five years ago that I thought possible. Because there's a great uh, spiritual openness now, and especially during an economic downturn. Um, a couple weeks ago, I was in Loma Linda and I preached a sermon at Loma Linda Advent Hope uh, Sabbath School slash church group. The upside or the downside? And I mentioned... Uh, an economist in that sermon and I'd done a little research well there was a New York Times reporter that called that same economist and the economist said well you got to listen to this sermon on audioverse.org so the New York Times reporter Paul Valletto got on audioverse and listened to five of my sermons including the upside of the downside which was how, in the economy, people's health improved, they become more spiritually open and all that stuff. He called me up and interviewed me five times. <laughs> and, the, and an article came out in the New York Times two days ago and referenced me as the, <laughs> uh, as a, a tele-evangelist from California. <laughs> I am not a tele-evangelist. But the interesting part about the article was that it went on and it talked about how people are now much more spiritually open. There is a huge interest. And if you simply will show them the scientific research <coughs> that shows the power of spirituality as it relates to health outcomes, if you just show them that and then you take a vote and say, how many of you would like to have the spiritual brought into the seminar? 98% of the people will raise their hand. And then the other 2% you say, look, <laughs> this is a democracy. 98% of the people say this is the way it goes. We're sorry you lost the election, but we still love you. Uh, or not something like that, but you just say to them, you know, we know that you're, you're going to be okay, and then we bring it in. And so what I've discovered is you can bring in the spiritual very rapidly um, if you use the pulpiteer or the pulpit of science to get there. And like I showed you last time, there would be no science without Scripture. So um, that's interesting. Okay, so just by way of introduction to those just coming, we, we looked at last time leading people from health to him, the nine or eight characteristics to do that. And now we're going to look at the key bridge. I want to say, though, that... There's a lot more coming up. We're going to look at the oldest scientific study in the Bible, and we're also going to talk about reaching addicted people this afternoon. Powerful testimony. You're going to want to be here to hear that and also those principles um, this afternoon. And then tomorrow, Dr. Nedley, 
how to be smart, how to excel academically, how to memorize effectively, how to increase your IQ, EQ, but not your DQ. Dairy Queen. So, <clears throat> now after you, after you do this, uh, this very, uh, uh, if you do a very successful health program, then people are very interested. And what I do is I will start to invite them to whatever the name of your program is. I want to study with you the first depression recovery program. Or I want to study with you the first CHIP program. Or I want to study with you the first New Start program. Whatever the name of your program is. And just put this here on the pyramid, okay? This is a pyramid scheme, just kidding. So um, you put it there and uh, then you start to, I'll just give you the study kind of like as I've given it to people. Now, I gotta tell you that most of these studies, when I started out in these health programs, I didn't know what I was doing and there's probably a good case to make that still I don't. But as I would start to answer the questions for people, they would become, they would sophisticate my way of answering the question. And this is basically the Bible study that came out of it. So I'll just go through it with you. Um, people in medical schools, Harvard Medical School, as well, well, as well as many others are, looking more closely at the connection between spirituality and healing. They have seminars, they have conferences, and there's just an increased awareness and interest in this. Likewise, in the major periodicals of today, um, there is this, this talk about faith and how it relates to healing and meditation. And uh, Dr. Dean Ornis, a renowned cardiologist who does a program not dissimilar to some of the programs done in Adventist churches to reverse heart disease, talks about meditation, um, which is, of course, the lowest common denominator of spirituality. In his seminar, he just has everyone go, um, that's the extent of this, you know, the extent of the spirituality. How many think that's easy enough to do? <laughs> but in other words, he's trying to bring that in, focus, I guess, I don't know what it is. I haven't tried to get into it. Others, other articles are talking about prayer, but some people get concerned. Uh, get, get, keep in mind, this is the study I'm giving someone that I know pretty well now, gone to my seminar. Some people are concerned, they complain that they, they, they've been, as this article put it, ambushed by spirituality. They say, well, this is only, this is, excuse me? Oh, yeah, that's, that's, what, that's, she's with me helping present. Is that okay? All right. Whoa, look at that. Yeah. We, uh, we still love you, though, even though she tried to pull rank on you. So ambushed by spirituality, they say. You know, they don't want to get ambushed. But studies indicate that ignoring the spiritual aspect of our lives can be hazardous to our health. So then I just go through some of the studies. And I, um, you know, um, this is what I do now, just even almost initially in health programs to be able to bring it up sooner. Um, but I used a popularized version of some of the studies found in the Reader's Digest. I'll just go through some of them. Church members have lower death rates than non-members regardless of risk factors. How many think that's good enough reason to join the church? <laughs> um, um, now it's going to go probably two in a row here in a minute. <clears throat> also, you know, all the factors of um, heart disease and blood pressure and cancer and general health studies, those with religious commitment did better in those. People with strong religious commitment did better when it came to not having as much depression, not committing suicide, alcoholism, other addictions, which are related to the top several killers of people from 15 to 20 years old, right? Because remember, number one was accidents, number two was homicide, number three was suicide, 
you know. And so religious commitment really helps avoid that. 80% uh, of Americans believe that faith or prayer can help people recover from illness or injury. It's probably higher than that now when these studies were done. I, there, there's a whole book that's come out on the connection between health and spirituality by a guy by the name of Koenig, I think his last name, or Honig. This was an interesting guy. He was a psych, uh, uh, had some mental health issues, and he was living homeless under a bridge. <clears throat> and he just and and <laughs> he prayed to the Lord. He saw this passage in a in a I think it was a Living Bible that said, "Publish, uh, publish me to the world." And he took that literally. He says, "Look, I will become a physician, and I will publish all about you if you help me." And God helped him, healed his mind. He went to medical school. He finished, and he he's published the most about the Lord and its relationship between spiritual health of anybody. How many think the Lord even answers prayers of people under, under bridges that are homeless? Yeah. He does. Okay. So, more than 60% of doctors should, uh, are, doctors think they should talk to their patients about faith and prayer, and that's increasing. Uh, now, in, you know, the internal medicine, the archives of internal medicine recently had an article that showed about, showed how to bring spirituality and health into your medical practice and what questions to ask to bring that up and basically suggested if you're not doing that it's malpractice. 63% of doctors said God intervened to improve their own medical condition. So what's the point here? People are wanting to move beyond the facts to consider faith issues, beyond the science to look at scripture, beyond uh, logic to look at love and beyond research to look at relationships and, and, and they're very interested in those things. But I think you've got to get their permission. It has to be as though they're asking, you're not telling. That's a big difference. And if you don't, if you want to experience that difference, just try and tell people some things about politics or religion. <clears throat> but again, right, and with this study, I've built a relationship with people. And then when they come, I just, I'm pretty upfront with them. Seventh-day Adventists see the Bible as the final source of authority. Um, when this church began, its early pioneers began concerned as they saw people dying at an early age in their 30s and 40s. Um, and so they decided to put some white out on the problem. They sent the whites out. <laughs> um, Ellen and James White. And they said, uh, will you help us out? Actually, they were kind of self-appointed. And they began to visit the health institutions of the day and look at the Bible for principles concerning health. They then formed the Western Reform Health Institute, hired a physician that was kind of a bomb. So they hired a new physician to come take his place, who was the name of John Harvey Kellogg. He was 26 years old, and he freaked everybody else out.com. Because he was so young and brass, they thought, and they had 12 patients, and it went down to three. But then he kind of learned his lesson, and as you know, he became very successful. He and his wife decided to <coughs> try and help the things that were killing people because he was a surgeon. He had done about 80,000 bowel surgeries in his career. And as he looked inside, he saw what was happening. Everybody was, you know, having uh, constipation problems and problems with our digestion. So he realized that the solution to pollution was dilution. And he wanted to, uh, you know, help sweep them out, so to speak, and uh, sweep things under the rug. So he developed these foods that would keep people on the move, so to speak. So peanut butter and almond butter and granola and cornflakes and all these different things um, he came up with. He even originated light therapy, which we now use in depression. Uh, not originated, but really effectively use it. And hydrotherapy, um, all these different things. Um, 
he, he worked with, and now they're discovering how powerful they are. If you go to the museum in Battle Creek, or if you used to, now there's another one that's, that's owned by the Adventist Church, but this one was owned by Kellogg's, and you went to the very top of the first exhibit, they attributed everything Kellogg did in terms of health to a little lady named Ellen White, the same lady that went out and found those places. So you can see what I'm doing in this study. I'm showing them about the Bible, but also Ellen White right at the beginning. Now, Ellen White's pretty interesting. Recently, a um, friend of mine who's come to a number of programs, Dr. T. Colin Campbell, was at my church. Now, Dr. Campbell, some people will criticize his research, but there's no question that he's done one of the, the largest uh, epidemiological studies in the history of mankind concerning health and longevity. And uh, it's called the China Study. And you can get that, that book, by the way, chinastudy.com. Uh, it's a great book. The first four chapters are especially interesting. And in that particular book, um, he talks a, a little bit about a guy named Clive McKay. And Clive McKay was the professor at Cornell University before he was that uh, <clears throat> was written about in Ministry Magazine back in the 50s because a student by the name of Chung Helen Chung, I think it was, went to visit her professor and gave him the book, Councils on Diets and Foods. He was so struck with that that he wrote a series of articles. This was his last graduate student, Clive McKay. But he didn't know about that story really until I told him. So I sent him 16 pages of what Ellen White wrote. I didn't realize the email was that long. But I sent him 16 pages and after I printed it out, I was embarrassed. <clears throat> but he read it all. And this is what he said in an email and then in an interview that I did in February of 2005. I am not aware of anyone who is more on point than Ellen White. Given her background, she's truly an amazing woman. I'm convinced that almost 100% of her statements are now substantially supported by the scientific evidence that has been developed in the last two to three decades. Now that's kind of an amazing statement from somebody that's the head of the, the, of the China study and has done over 78 years of funded research worth, 78 years worth of funded research. He goes, <clears throat> he goes on to say, what I've come to realize, to even deeply worry about, is why it is that this message of Ellen White and others has been so mislaid on shelves out of sight. He almost sounds like an Adventist evangelist here. <clears throat> and it's abundantly clear to me that now is the time to bring forward this in whatever way, this forward in whatever way that each of us is able to do so. <laughs> he could probably speak at GYC. <laughs> How many think that's an amazing statement? So, you know, people that come through your programs, they go, what's the connection between this and your church? Well, I gave them one answer. It's Ellen White. It's the history of the church where we were all dying like flies at age 30 to 40. And um, so we wanted to figure out what to do to reverse that. Paul Harvey, you've heard his statement. You don't, Ellen White, you don't know or get to know her, basically. By the way, he was recently sitting in a seminar that Dr. Nettie did. Again, he's going to be here on Friday talking about mental uh, peak performance, but he was in the uh, he was in a seminar that Dr. Nelly was doing, and he, he was so excited about that seminar, he came up and he purchased everything, and he said, "Whatever you want me to do to get this word out." <laughs> um, so, what did what did Ellen White say, though? If you would ask her uh, concerning health, well, she'd say a lot of things. She wrote a lot of books, but most importantly, she said, "Study." She would say, "Study his word," because this is where they got the concepts. Now, did you see what I just did? I introduced the people to what. The history of the church and Ellen White, but now I'm right back to what? The Bible. <clears throat> so, what does the Bible say about health? I'm not going to read all these texts because you know them. Genesis 1.29 basically says what? Eat fruits, foods as grown. Fruits, nuts, grains, a little bit later vegetables were added. 
every herb that yields seed. <clears throat> every herb that yields seed. Now, when they analyze that diet of Genesis 129, they find it's a high carbohydrate diet. Um, if you put it in any food um, analyzing program, It'll basically tell you that that diet is 1% saturated fat, 7% fat, 78% carbohydrate, 15% protein, which sounds a lot like the Dean Arnas program, or a lot like the CHIP program, or a lot like the New Start program at Weimart, or a lot like, not Weimart, <laughs> although they sell things at Weimart, not to be confused with Walmart. So <clears throat> uh, that's the basic makeup. Now, if you add a few nuts because you are nuts, or because you want to increase your omega-3s, and uh, the mental health attributes that go with that. Saturated fat uh, is a 4%, fat 25%, carbohydrate 60%, protein 14%. That's adding the fruits and the grains. Um, so uh, what will happen as a result? What happens as a result of showing this, uh, this plan to people? Well, you can just tell them. It's the same plan that now the American Cancer Society is using. In fact, they use Genesis 129 on the front of all their posters and all their flyers. They can't do any better, so they just take a picture of the, of the things that are there. They say, this is the best way to help avoid cancer. So this was the, this was the Bible's health care plan, but the devil came up with a different plan. He said, look, you should eat this fruit, the forbidden fruit. And by the way, the forbidden fruit is not an apple. Especially a Macintosh apple. Can I hear a man? He said, can't you eat everything? You're not going to die. You can eat anything you want, which sounds a lot like uh, many of the different um, dietitians and healthcare plans today. But people did begin to die. Um, he tried to clean out the system with a flood. That didn't work. They chose a special people, but they went off the rails and found themselves in Egypt. And you remember the story about how God's people were in Egypt. And Deuteronomy 7.15, notice what it says. The Lord will take away from thee all, what? Sickness, and will put none of the evil diseases of, what? Egypt, which thou knowest upon thee. So they were having the diseases of who? Of Egypt. What were those diseases? This looks kind of bad. They studied about 30,000 or 40,000 mummies, and maybe a few daddies as well. And they looked at these mummies, and they recognized that they were dying of various things. And their diagnosis, were, were recorded in this book by Carol Reeves a few years ago. Diagnosis, what's that mean? Dia means through, gnosis means to know. So to look through and know, and that's what they actually did. They used x-ray machines, CAT scan machines, and now they're looking back with all these different new technologies. They didn't need an x-ray or a CAT scan to see the problem here. What's the problem here? Someone says he didn't have enough strings on his guitar. But uh, they are missing the point. Another person told me he had what was called a, a, cardiac, a cardiac crease in his ear. <laughs> uh, no, that's not the point. It's obesity. Is this a problem in America? The Bible says at the end of time that people, uh, their God will be their belly. Is that happening? This is a picture from the um, CDC Councils of Disease. And this shows the blue, dark blue is no data, then the light blue is uh, less than 10%, and then a little bit more blue is 10% to 14%. People that are 30 pounds overweight um, for someone that's 5 foot 4 inches. Now notice how this increases over time. 
you'll see more people. Now there's more people, more people that are greater than 10 to 14 percent in that state. More people, more people. Now 15 to 19 percent is the dark blue. That's 92. And notice what's happening in America. And then, this is greater than 20% of those people, 30, 30 pounds overweight or more, knows what's happening. Is America getting larger? Then, 25% of the people in that particular state are now like that, 2002, 2003, 2004. Can you see what's happening? And if you were to update it right now, it's even more. In other words, people are, they have this accelerated uh, problem with obesity and of course what comes out of that is what diabetes big time it's up 700 percent during that same time period because the fat will close off the ability of insulin to get into the cells and 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 it's killing people and this is happening to our youth too um, they did a recent Hollywood production and then we have all these kids in this particular thing and they none of them fit into the costumes that they had and those costumes were, were just made five years before for the same age kids. And they could not even script for a movie. And that's, we're getting the cream of the crop kids. But a more significant problem may be this. <coughs> One in four persons seeing a primary care physician about weight problems has an active psychiatric illness, usually depression. So obesity is directly linked to depression. And what's killing kids today? Number one, accidents. And it might be accidentally what they're putting in their mouths. Number two, homicide. Number three, suicide. And depression is rampant in that age category. Now, I saw, I was listening to Dr. Neil Barnhart, and he told me, this is what you do to get a kid to always pay attention. A kid is just born, you have him just in the hospital, and you want them to look at you and no one else. Baby, 9 to 12 weeks of age, you sit face to face, 15 inches apart with the little baby, and you have one teaspoon of sugar, you add it to one cup of water, and then you dip their pacifier in it. And then you let them suck on that for just a few moments, three and a half minutes. If they suck on that while you're looking at them, every single time you come in the room from then on, and if you, might, you can bring 40 or 50 other people in the room, they will not look at anyone else except you. Because what happened? There they are. That's pictures of them looking at the people that gave them that sugar water. What happens? The sugar will ha cause an opiate release and their dopamine goes up. And the question in life is where do you get your dopamine? Now, Rich Kallenberg and Susan are going to share a powerful testimony this afternoon, the last seminar, that I think should be a plenary session at GYC. But they're going to share the danger of dopamine. But this is really what's driving this problem in America. Um, by the way, when you give those little infants sugar, it reduces their crying, it reduces the reaction to heel sticks and circumcisions, and it will cause no effect, however, in infants if you give them sugar if, if their parents are opiate-addicted mothers. So in other words, if their parents were drug use and they were getting the dopamine from everywhere else, then this doesn't have any effect because there's no dopamine released in that little baby. How many say the real question in life is where are you getting your dopamine? You know, where are you getting your dope? Basically, in summary. And everybody here does dopamine. Some do it in the right way, some do it in the wrong way. Which one of these are addicting foods? <laughs> Can you tell? <laughs> 
By the way, if you give Narcan to people that are eating these addicting foods, which is a drug that, uh, uh, that can reduce or, or can reverse, you know, narc, uh, narcotic effect, it will take away the dopamine effect. It's interesting. This is what Ellen White says. Someone just shared this quote with me. By the use of rich, unhealthful food, the digestive organs are weakened and the desire is created for food that is still more stimulating. Thus, the appetite is educated to crave. Isn't that interesting? The appetite is educated to crave continually something stronger. The demand for stimulus becomes more frequent and more difficult to resist. Did I tell you that we're, we're looking at this because we're looking at the diseases of the Egyptians and they, were, they had obesity, right? The more de debilitated it becomes, that is the system, the greater the desire for these things. One step in the wrong direction prepares the way for another. And many who would not be guilty of placing on their table wine, liquor, any kind of that type of thing will load their food with things which create a thirst for strong drink so that the, the ability to resist the temptation is almost impossible. Wrong habits of eating and drinking destroy the health and prepare the way for drunkenness. Well, why is that? You know, you've got the sugar and you've got the, uh, um, the fat and everything coming together and it actually creates uh, something like that. Now, here's something interesting about this. Remember I showed you all the slides about how obesity skyrocketed since the 1980s in America. You know, the dairy industry figured something out. This is from the dairy industry. Cheese lovers and triggering the crave. Remember we said we can educate ourselves with cravings. Cheese formed December 5, 2000. Ah, the power of cheese. What they discovered in the cheese industry back in the 80s was that um, there's two groups of people. There are the cravers and enhancers and uh, cheese snackers and cheese toppers and the dairy management and company or incorporated said, look, what we have to do is get them to eat more cheese because if they eat more cheese, it will trigger the cheese craving. Because what happens when you eat cheese is that there is something added to the casein in the cheese uh, by mother nature and that's uh, morphin, casomorphins. So casein also has morphine, which is kind of the same thing as a dopamine derivative. So the more cheese you eat, the more cheese you want, and the more dopamine is released. And see, the, the uh, Pizza Hut and Taco Bell and those particular, that group, they did the research actually in their plant in Wichita, Kansas, I believe and they discovered this, and this is when they started to add extra cheese to everything because they realized that once you had that taste, you would want that taste more and more and more, and the worse you got, the more you would want. And this, see this graph? 1920 cheese consumption in America per capita was 3.8 pounds in 1909. Now, in 2005, it's 31.4 pounds. How much dopamine comes from three pounds a year versus 31 pounds a year? So how many can see that connection between the dopamine effect and the increase in obesity? How many can see that this would be a very dangerous slide to show at even most Adventist potlucks? Because <laughs> we really pride ourselves, we really pride ourselves in the fact that we don't eat meat and all these other things, but what do we do? We've kind of been struck by this as well. Okay, so back to the disease of Egypt. What's this problem? Someone said to me, oh, the guy got hit by three arrows. No, the arrows are pointing to the problem. What is that? That is gall stones coming from a high-fat diet again. 
What's this problem? Besides no eyeballs or skin. This is uh, dental caries, um, cavities, right. And they did a study of the Egyptians and they discovered that they drank a lot of high sugar drinks. And by the way, sugar releases the dopamine. This is why in America that's up and up and up and up. It's been going up and up. And so this is what hap was happening. By the way, they also said this person has temporal mandibular joint disorder, <laughs> which stands to reason if you're a mummy lying around in a box for 3,000 years. What's the problem here? These are the femurs, and there's the phalanges, or the fingers hanging down in the middle. And then they, they, they did a, they can see the soft tissue there, tissue there, and they blew that up, or made it, enlarged it. They didn't blow it up. And uh, they said in the article that this person had a pronounced coronary artery disease. Interesting. So coronary artery disease, heart disease, diabetes, um, gallstones, um, all the things, by the way, all top five killers in America are the same things that were killing the Egyptians. Can you see what this does to someone who's been studying the science with you in your program? And then they see that the, that the diseases of the G Egypt were the same thing. How many can see what effect that might have on somebody? They go, oh, wait a minute. The Bible, in the Bible, they had the same diseases we're having now, right? Now then the big thing comes up. How did God remove these depressing diseases? And that is the first, whatever the name of your program is, health program. Basically what he did was he did a big uh, experiment in choice theory. William Glasser recently persuaded the city of New York, a city of Corning in New York, to engage in a five-year project to teach 20,000 people to replace external control psychology with choice theory. In other words, to choose the right thing. And he says, if we could just teach 20,000 people in this town how to choose the right thing, we could change the town. And guess what he discovered? That's what happened. The, the town was changed because they made choices. What does Ellen White say? Educate, educate, educate. Health by choice, not by chance. So what God called his program was the Exodus program. It was a real popular name. Do you see it right up there? Exit, exit, exit. It's all over the place. It's really caught on. X means out. Odas is where the word we get uh, odometer from, the metered measured way. So he doesn't jerk people out. It's not the jerk program. He's not a jerk. It's the Exodus program, leading people out step by step in the metered, measured way. So why did the program begin? Exodus 2.23, people cried out. They groaned in their bondage. They were in bondage physically. They were in bondage spiritually. They were in bondage, uh, you know, to, to their habits and everything else. Were there any promises made? When you start a program, do you need to make promises? We do in our programs that we do, our health programs, we say, if you come to this program, such a percent of you will have this happen, that happen, why don't we promise that to you. But you may be in the percent it doesn't happen, we try and cover ourselves too. But the promises God made at the beginning was this. If you, and this is a great promise you can make usually at the beginning of your programs, if you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God, I will put none of the diseases which you which I have brought upon the Egyptians, upon you, for I am the Lord who does what? Heals you. So how many think that's a great promise? Hey, by the way, did they come out with the Adventist Affirm edition for GYC? Yes. Where is that? 
Uh, can the rest of us have a copy? Well, did they hand them out? Is, do I have an article in there? Yes. Where are those? Anyway, get my article. I see. All right. I wrote an article as supplementary here um, somewhere. I, don't, I guess they didn't put my picture on the front, <laughs> which is probably a very wise move, <clears throat> not wanting to terrify people. But I didn't know if they put it in here or not. Maybe they did. Anyway, what I did was I wrote an article that you're going to want to read that shows you the connection between the right hand of God's healing found in Exodus chapter 15 and healing throughout Scripture. Because when it says, I am the Lord who heals you, that's really true. And that right hand of God is specifically linked to healing. That's why the devil attacks the right hand with the mark of the beast at the end of time and the forehead. How did God run the program? They cried out for it. This is what he did. He took a history and he began to confront errors through education. What we do in our programs, like whenever you can do a program where you draw people's blood, they really like that. They're like, oh, wow, we're really getting somewhere here. Because you're documenting things, right? So we took a history, began to front, confront errors through education. The biggest problem that Americans have is not what they eat, it's what they think. And if you can fix what they think, then it'll fix what they eat. So it's really a mental problem, not a physical problem, but it, you know, it affects that. What were some of the cognitive distortions or things that thoughts, cognitions that were distorted? Well, first of all, they worship the river. How many of you have ever been tempted? There's a river, let's go worship it. They worshiped the river because they thought it was the bloodstream of God. They thought that the God of Ciceris was, uh, that was actually the blood of that God. And so they would go bathe in the blood of God. Well, that sounds pretty good, right? They thought they were saved by the blood of the river. And God said, you're not saved by the blood of the river. You need to be saved by the blood of the lamb. They would worship the frogs. Anyone tempted with that? Because see me afterwards, we'll deal with you individually. So they worshiped the frogs. Instead of having stories about the day the cow jumped over the moon, they would talk about how the frog jumped over the moon. And they worshiped frogs because they saw them, they were polywogs and then they were frogs, and they thought, that's cool, this is, this is the goddess of fertility. And so they worshiped the frogs. So God said, all right, you worship the frogs, this is what I'm going to do. I am going to send the frogs everywhere that God goes. <clears throat> So it, it, he sent the frogs into the bedroom. He sent the frogs into the kneading bowls or the kitchens, into the microwaves and everywhere else. And the frogs ended up everywhere God should be in your life. And guess what they said? We're not interested in having God in this particular part of our house. <laughs> and it was a capital offense to kill frogs, but they started to kill them. God was taking their cognitive distortion and he's saying, look, if you really want to worship a God, God needs to be everywhere in your life. And then they killed God and got rid of God. He was dealing with their distortions. They also worshiped the bugs, the scabbard beetle and all these things. And in fact, no Egyptian priest could officiate if he was defiled with bugs or lice, though. So God says, okay, you're worshiping the bugs. I'm going to send the bugs everywhere. That effectively shut down all the churches in the town. All the priests couldn't go to work. And they said when this happened in this particular plague, you look at it in the Exodus account, they said, this is the finger of God. 
And so God was saying, look, I want to be everywhere, even the small parts of your life. The frogs can go to the bigger places, but I want the bugs to even be the small places that went up the noses and between the toes and in the ears and, and kind of messed up the gears. So the whole thing shut down. How many can see what God was doing? He was taking a massive amount of people that had massive spiritual and physical problems and he was addressing their thoughts and reconnecting their thoughts with reality. He was clearing up their cognitive distortions. That's what the Adventist church has been caused to, called to do. And the time just before the seven last plagues, he wants the Adventist church to be involved in clearing up distortions. How many want to be involved in that work? The last plague, we, I, I, by the way, I have all these written out, but can't go through them all right now. They worship the sun. Uh, in other words, they, they thought, okay, that's the giver of all life. And by the way, the sun is. Without light, there's really not life, right? Even, the, even those lower feeding animals on the very bottom of the ocean that they live, they say, in no light. Guess what they eat? All the droppings of the ones that lived in light. So they live because of light as well, right? And so what he did was they worshiped the sun. In fact, Pharaoh called himself Amon Ray, the only ray of hope, the sun god. And so God says, okay, you're the ray of hope. You're the ray of nope. He turned him off. He turned off the sun, and it was so dark you couldn't see anything. And you, it, it says you could even feel the darkness. I listened to someone the other day that said they went down in one of these caves where they'll turn off all of the lights, and everybody freaked out. They turned on their cell phones and their cameras. They had to have light. So they turned off all the light. What was he trying to do? He says, you're not the light. I'm the light of the world. Do you see, in your health programs, you do the same thing God was doing. You expose what? Cognitive distortions. You tell people finally the truth. You do it tactfully and sensitively and maybe using science, but you tell them the truth. How many think that's probably the big thing? You know, the age of tolerance will kill you. The age of truth will save you. I was in a country recently where they said, oh, the highest value is tolerance. So they let anybody come into their country. Then those people came into their country, started beating up their policemen and killing all their law enforcement officers. And they said, oh, no, we've lost our culture. So guess what they decided to do? They said, we used to say God was not alive, but we're so concerned that our nation is going to republish a book. Guess what book they republished? The Bible. And they retranslated after 100 years, and they sent the Bible to all the people in their schools, and they said, please teach the Bible. We need to get our identity back. They discovered that tolerance is not as important as truth. That doesn't mean that truthful people can't be tolerant. But how many of you can see what I'm saying? At least get it out there so people can see that. So in your seminars, that's what you're doing. How many of you can see what's happening in this study? People are now being exposed to what? Not just the science of your program, but the science of Scripture concerning health. And it's powerful. So they did a history, they did a physical, they cleared up cognitive distortions. The next thing God did was order a blood test in his Exodus program. <laughs> he said, look, if you kill a lamb and put the blood on the doorpost, you'll pass the test. If not, it's going to be a very bad blood test for you. You either do my test or the other. That's pretty interesting. When we have someone come to the hospital, we draw their blood, we show them the results, and they cry out, what must I do to be saved? And God did the same thing in his program. By the way, I like drawing people's blood. You can see me there on the left. Um, so afterwards, if you'd like me to draw your blood, I'll meet you outside. 
Just kidding. That's for those on the tape. Don't be worried. Next, they were to leave Egypt. How did they leave Egypt? Did they drive? They walked. So what God did was he had a built-in what? Exercise program. There was no secret rapture. God didn't say, okay, I'm just going to rapture you here and do this and pick you up with helicopters. No, they walked. And just by simply walking, that will reverse many problems. Isn't that right? So they walked. In our programs, we always have a map and we show people, we have like a, a, a contest of where they're going to walk. They walk this far and then we say, okay, you're in this town. We'll tell a little bit about the health of the town and everything else. We want to move on down from that town and we keep walking, walking, walking as they walk. By the way, you know how far Jesus walked every day? They did a study of all the stories in the Gospels and they said on average he walked like 21 miles a day. How many want to be like Jesus? <laughs> Adventist pioneers... Adventist pioneers, you know how, long, how, how much the average uh, person walked in the days of the pioneers? And 1911, the last statistic I saw was they would, they, or 1900, they walked 11 miles a day. How many would be like the Adventist pioneers? How many want to take Justin's challenge and be better than the Adventist pioneers and be more like Jesus? So let's say 15 miles a day. So they walked. What did God do to remind them of his power? He taught them songs. How many of you like people that sing? How many like some people that sing? How many people that have the gift of singing but no one has the gift of listening? But he, he, taught them a song, he taught them a song. I will sing unto the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and rider thrown into the sea. How many of you know that song? Great song, right? I like Dr. Nedley's song in his uh, depression recovery. I don't like it. I don't like it. It's okay. It's okay. I can stand it anyway. I can stand it anyway. I'm all right. I'm all right. I don't like it. I, I need to teach that to my kids, right? Go to the store. They want something? <laughs> no. I don't like it. I don't like it. It's okay. It's okay. So my dad used to do this therapy too when we were growing up. You know, he'd have this song called You Can Smile When You Can't Say a Word and he meant that. You don't say a word. You just smile. So we're driving down the road. You can smile, but you can't say a word. You can smile when you cannot be heard. You can smile when it's cloudy or fair. You can, even though we didn't think it was fair, smile anytime, anywhere. So this, he used music therapy. How many think we need to get that back? Now, this was not the rock that made you roll which also takes its toll, but it was the right kind of music. Amen? By the way, how many think there's a good kind of music and a bad kind of music? How many think there's a good, good and bad music? Some people don't know that. I'll ask them the question, and it's usually musicians that go, oh, no, I'm not sure. You know, you know the issue with that? When you look at Exodus 32, which one understood there was bad music in the camp? The one that was highest up on the mountain. Did you notice that? Moses was way up high, and he goes, no, this is the sound of war. But Joshua was going, I don't know. I don't know what this is. You need to go up a little bit higher in the mountain. Then you understand good and bad music. Amen? So I will sing unto the Lord. Good song there. What kind of fluids did God provide them to drink? Actually, it was Mountain Dew. <laughs> sorry about that. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done that to you. That's right. So that's right. Water, the drink that can sink battleships, right? What kind of food did they want to eat? They were quibbling for quail, right? And they wanted the spicy foods. And you can teach you what, what kind of food did God provide? Manna. You know, down in Australia or New Zealand, they have the word manna up on these things. It's a, it's a word of the Maori. 
um, uh, which are these pagan tribes, and it means the spirit. That's the only. But manna, what does it really mean? What is it? Was well, it exactly what people will say when you feed them vegan, vegetarian food? Usually, they go, "What in the world is that?" <laughs> You know, you show them all these things, you know, and they look at the, the stuff we put. Look at, these, look at this guy here at our, our program. Here he is looking at it. He's going, what is that? <laughs> he's looking at it. He's going, you just say it's manna. That just means what is it? <laughs> this happens in health programs every day. God not only, oh, by the way, the manna uh, uh, was what was prescribed to eat. He also said when to eat it. When were they supposed to eat it? In the morning. Right? And so you had to get up in the morning. You had to kneel down to pick up your manna, which reminds you to live not by bread alone, but by the word that proceeds from God, because you'd pick it up. And it was made out of coriander seed. And they said that it, it, when you raised it up in the sun, it looked like the color of bedellium, which was like the color of a rainbow. So you remember the covenant every morning. And you had a new covenant with God as you woke up in the morning. By the way, God understood light therapy just like uh, Kellogg did and the others do in depression therapy. He turned the lights on. And uh, the lights woke you up in the morning. He, he said they needed an extra light therapy. So he sent them through the wilderness for 40 years, right? Actually, they only needed less than that. But they ended up being 40 years because they were very depressed and depressed other people. <laughs> Now what happens, what happens then in these programs, it's, it's fascinating, is that you know, start out with a diet of manna, which is high, complex carbohydrates is high in tryptophan. What's the highest source of tryptophan? I think it's tofu or pumpkin seeds, All right? And then that, by the way, the highest meat source is turkey. Gobble, gobble. So tryptophan. Then it's changed into hydroxytryptophan only in the presence of sunlight and B6 vitamins. If you don't know where vitamin B or anything comes from, just eat green leafy vegetables. Anytime you have a question on the test, just put down green leafy vegetables. <laughs> I just saved you academically. So sunlight and green leafy vegetables, that's 30, 30 minutes of sunlight, right? Am I right? Green leafy vegetables is always the test. It's always the answer. I mean, don't put down polka-dyed vegetables or anything like that. You'll flunk. And then that tryptophan is changed into hydroxytryptophan in the presence of those trophic factors and then turns into serotonin, the happy chemical. How many of you think there should be more serotonin in the world today? Well, do your, do your best to eat tryptophan and be in the sun today and you'll do that. Now, those blue dots I'll come back to in a minute. But serotonin basically is turned into melatonin in the presence of complete darkness. Yeah, they've, there's not too much complete darkness now, but complete darkness so that the pineal gland can make the melatonin. And then that, that kind of rebuilds your brain. And when is that most aptly made? From the hours of what? 9 to 12, which means you need to go to bed earlier than you did last night. Because <laughs> I saw every single one of you. No, I didn't. And by the way, there's something else that will block melatonin production. Guess what it is? Insulin. And so if you eat food at night and the food is then digested, then to get into the cells, what does it need? Insulin. So the pancreas is stimulated and it releases insulin, thereby cutting off the production of melatonin. This is why you should not eat at night and this is why you should go to bed early. And this will increase, increase your mental ability at school. How many of you would like to get higher grades? How many of you are so far gone that you're not raising your hands? 
By the way, Dr. Nell is going to share like 50 things like this in his lecture on Friday morning. You will be so smart when you leave that you will start to look like Dr. Nelly. <laughs> so, what was given, by the way, he just looks smart. Have you noticed that? Like his forehead gets there before he was arriving, you know, he's slightly ahead of the time. So, what was given to stop, don't tell him I said that because I want to still have my forehead. <laughs> what was given to stop, reverse, or better yet, prevent cognitive distortions from ever occurring again? God takes away ten distortions and replaces them with ten truths. He never takes away anything unless he gives us something better. He never takes away something that will go against the laws of health unless he place, replaces it with laws that will bring us closer to him, first four commandments, and closer to others, last six commandments. Are you thankful for a God who never takes without giving more? What teaching tool did God use to summarize his plan and purpose for his people? I love this one. I talked to someone the other day that says, why is, is it they asked me, remember this guy I told you about last time who said that animal rights is what motivated him? And I said, do you want to know what motivates Seventh-day Adventists that are involved in health? And he goes, he looks at me like, I don't know. And he goes, well, yes, I do. And I told him this. The sanctuary motivates Adventists. He goes, what, how does that work? Because, let me show you. In the sanctuary, outside of the sanctuary, nothing, everything unclean was kept outside the sanctuary. No, you couldn't eat Mr. and Mrs. Piggy, and you couldn't bring them near the sanctuary. And there they are, they're so in love there, you know, they've gone to counseling, they're closely together. <laughs> unclean was outside the sanctuary. When you went into the outer court of the sanctuary, what kind of animals were used to symbolize the coming Christ? Only clean animals. And by the way, those are the only kind that you should be allowed to eat if you ever do eat them during emergency ration time. By the way, why did God ever kill animals? Because there was an emergency, right? Why were animals ever eaten? Because in time of emergency, a flood, right? Clean animals. And that was kept in the what? Outer court, where Christ, of course, was sacrificed for us as our Passover lamb. When you got to the holy place, what was introduced in the sanctuary? You had grains and grapes and olive oil. Little omega-3s, little complex carbohydrates, and a little bit of the active ingredient of grape juice, which will protect you from many things. <laughs> like orange juice, no. So then, and then a little incense there to make it, make it all smell good too. And then what was in the most holy place? You had... Manna, which means what? What is it? What was manna? Coriander seed, or as Psalm 78 says, the corn of heaven. So it was a complex carbohydrate to help you with your complexes. And, manna, and almonds. And almonds, according to the U.S. Department of Agriculture and other sources, are the perfect nut. And here you thought you were. But the perfect nut is almonds. And for satiety, in other words, for a sense of uh, fullness, um, it's really good for diabetics, you know, because it gives them that full feeling. Um, but wherever there's a nut, there's also a fruit. I mean, almonds are related to pistachios, are related to peaches, you know. So you have symbolized in the most holy place fruits, nuts, and grains. How many think that's interesting? You go all the way from here back to Genesis 1.29. How many think that's interesting? And God is moving people on a process. Does God love people here? Did he come and take on the form of sinful 
what, or the likeness, it says in the scripture, of sinful of, of flesh, of human flesh? And was the outer skin badger skin, which was unclean? Did he do that? But then did he move people on a process? Some people say, why did Christ eat meat? Well, he was living in this particular part of the sanctuary service. He identified with humanity, but he only ate clean meat, yes or no? But how many think up there in heaven, up until 1844, he was still eating meat? How many think he and the father were out caribou hunting? <laughs> no, that would have been a big caribou-boo, <laughs> right? So, by the way, we try and give, we, we, want to, we want to take, you know, they did a study of the astronauts, and the astronauts, they, they, they surveyed all the astronauts, and the biggest thing the astronauts wanted in space that they didn't have was fresh meat. So the government, being as brilliant as it is, I mean, how many of you think if you were in charge, it would be a lot better? Oh, good, well. <sighs> all right, so they studied, guess what they did? They spent $50 million on this project. They studied how it was they could transport cows to the space station. And they got hung up with the horns. <laughs> they didn't know how to, what to do with the horn growth. I guess that's what... Anyway, the point about the study for me was, you know, I was picturing these pictures of, the, of cows with helmets on and horns sticking out. <laughs> but the thing that really got me was that we want to take cows to the moon so we can kill them and eat them. It is so hard for us to give up on our bad habits. They did a study of Americans and they said, if we gave you $2,000 to stop eating the way you do, would you take it? 35% of Americans said, absolutely not. We wouldn't change a thing. So what happens in these programs? What happened in the study? How many can see that powerful study? How many think that might be a helpful study to give to someone? What we did was we started with the science, but now we've seen that on the basis of Scripture they could learn the same thing. And when they see that study, I've seen people that are very bright people, they get, the lights go on, they go, oh, this is why your church does that? Oh, this is the sanctuary? You mean, whoa! And then they go, there's got to be more to this in the Bible. And they start to look at the Bible. So what happened to them? Here's a picture from the Archives of General Psychiatry, which I read every day because of my issues. <laughs> this is a picture, and I have a psychiatrist here today that might be able to help me with this. This is a picture, these pictures of the coconuts here, our brains right here, are people that take paroxetine, which is the generic name for what? For Paxil, which by the way, there's more Paxil in drinking water than almost anything else these days because people take so much Paxil in this country, they urinate in the waters and everybody else is less depressed too. So look at what happens when you take Paxil. The sections of the brain that, that light up, it's like the midbrain. You see that? And you feel better, but it's stimulating those sections of the brain. Notice what happens in cognitive behavioral therapy, which is taking people's cognitions and saying they're driving your behaviors in a wrong kind of way. We need to do therapy on you. We need to tell you the truth. In other words, there is bad food. These are the bad foods. Don't eat them. There's bad music. These are the bad music. Don't listen to them. There's bad churches. Don't go to them. 
By the way, I was talking to a top scientist and I said, do you believe there's good foods and bad foods? Oh, yes. Do you believe there's this and that? And I kept going on and I go, now let me ask you this. You're a bright guy. What are the good churches and the bad churches? We were sitting at lunch. And he goes. <laughs> and he goes, I never thought about it that way. I said, I know. That's why I asked the question. So, but look at what happens here with cognitive behavioral therapy. What part of the brain is lighting up? Look at that. How many of you want to have health programs that do that? That help people heal from the head to the toes. Mm -hmm. To the thoughts. To the end of the fingertips. And that's what happens when we lead people from health to him. How many can see how powerful that study is? And then the next study, when we come back after lunch, we'll rub you the right way. But then we'll also talk about that next study, which is the oldest scientific study known to mankind, Daniel 1. All right? Thank you so much for your attention. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we're thankful today that you came here to bring health. But you use the health message to bring you people to yourself. And you want your people to do the same. Help us to be effective in leading people from health to him. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. This media was produced by Audioverse for GYC, Generation of Youth for Christ. If you would like to learn more about GYC, please visit www.gycweb.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.